and welcome to a very special episode of the Scottish Football Show. In the first of three standalone podcasts this month, we're celebrating the incredible achievements of Scottish sides reaching European finals, with three clubs all celebrating milestone anniversaries this year. First up, it's Aberdeen. It's been 40 years since the Dons lifted the European Cup Winners' Cup on the 11th of May, 1983. Who did they beat? Just Real Madrid, 2-1, in Gothenburg. Laura and Finn spoke to Scottish football legend, avid Aberdeen supporter and author of Glory in Gothenburg, Richard Gordon. Huge winning in the middle. That is a magnificent goal for Aberdeen. Aberdeen have won the European Cup Winners' Cup. Sweet dreams are made of these. Aberdeen have won perhaps their greatest victory ever. Alec Ferguson dancing and take up the light in the track. Oh, I'm proud of. I mean, it's their day. It's their day. They played like champions. Oh, but only as their open top coach neared the city centre did the Dons begin to realise the impact their win had had on Britain's oil capital, which had literally dried up for the afternoon. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you very much. And of course, welcome Finn as well. Hello. <laughs> Before we get into the football, let's get a bit of context. Finn, I'll start with you. Where were you? What were you doing in 1983? <laughs> I wasn't actually born. I was minus two at that point. <laughs> I was born in 1985. So, sorry. <laughs> Can't give too much context. <laughs> I was also just a twinkle in my parents' eye as well. A um, couple of years younger than you, Finn. But um, I think at that stage, my brother was pestering my mum and dad for a dog. He was promised a golden <laughs> retriever. Um, and this was all happening until suddenly... I came along and um, ruined those plans. I think it was around 1983, he was asking for a dog. Um, and that didn't materialise. He got a sister instead. Richard, not to make you feel old or anything, um, but <laughs> you've got a few more years experience under your belt. Um, what were you doing in 1983? Well, I mean, I was certainly around. Uh, I was working in the bank at the time, playing football, amateur leagues, but always Sundays and midweeks so that I could go and watch Aberdeen on Saturday. So... I mean, every weekend, so I went away from the mid to late 70s onwards, went virtually every game. And certainly in 1983 in particular, then obviously, I was following the team that was about to become the most famous side in, in the club's history. Let's give a wee bit of context then to where Aberdeen were in 1983. So, I mean, it really was sort of kind of the middle of the glory years, wasn't it? So, I mean, what, Alex Ferguson had been in the job five years at that point, already won the league, won the Scottish Cup. What was happening for Aberdeen at that time? Yeah, it had been a strange time because the, the seven days started really strongly under Eddie Turnbull. They then went through three years of struggle with Jimmy Bond thrown, um, very nearly got relegated. Mm. Um, the first season of what was to become the Premier Division. And then Ali McLeod blew into town <laughs> and just the, the change in the city, the change amongst the fans was incredible. He was such a breath of fresh air, won the League Cup for us in 76. Uh, Billy McNeil took over when Ali went to Scotland. Just had a season, um, but was just adored by the Aberdeen fans. Um, and the hope was quite cl clearly that, that Billy would go on to build something, but of course he got the call to go back to Celtic, yeah. which he was always going to take. I mean, I know speaking to him many years later that even at that, it was, it was tough. I mean, he and his family had settled to Stoneven, just said to Aberdeen, loved the city, loved the club. But he was always going to leave. Um, yeah, and then in the summer of 78, so the, the club was celebrating its 75th anniversary. There was a special fans event at the Capitol Theatre in Aberdeen. And um, that was the first night that we clapped eyes on 
Alex Ferguson as he was, and, and he was introduced, walked um, quite humbly and quietly onto the stage. Little did we know what was about to unfold <laughs> over the next eight years or so. Lost the League Cup final to Dundee United, which was disappointing, but he'd been starting to pull the squad together. And then that that title win in 79-80, uh, and I'll never forget that afternoon in the terracing of Easter Roads. Scanlon, yes! What a marvellous goal to finish this match. Alec Ferguson is on now in the penalty area. Aberdeen have definitely won the championship. That was it. That was the catalyst. That convinced the players that they could be winners. Yeah. And you know, they went on to win, obviously, the the league, the Scottish Cup in 82, and then that set them up for the Coveros Cup in 83. He was still quite a young manager at this point. I know he'd had like four years at St Mirren, but he hadn't quite made it yet in that sense. Was he... Did he take a bit of time to kind of settle into the job and really kind of win over that respect and reverence from the fans and the players alike? Yeah, I mean, I think as fans, we were open to anyone who was going to bring us success. There was an issue with one or two of the senior players and, and his the man who he came to describe as the best penalty box defender in the world, um, Willie Miller. The, there were so many conflicts between those two in the early days. Mm. Um, I actually did a, a Q&A with Willie recently. Um, I've spoken to him about this before, but but Sir Alex, as he is now, would constantly wind Willie up by saying, Jackie Copeland never did it like that at St Mirren. <laughs> and, and he would use St Mirren players with one or two of them, but Willie in particular. And eventually, um, Willie snaps. And they had um, a, a frank exchange of views, shall we call it, um, <laughs> But he says now, he, he looks back and he says, he thinks Fergie was just doing that deliberately. He was doing it to get a reaction. Mm. And of course, we've seen him do that kind of thing so many times. So the bond was very quickly built. Um, and of course, as soon as they started winning, then that solidified it. I, I was going to ask about that. Like, do <clears throat> you think that was all part of like the, the master plan that Ferguson had? Like, did... As Aberdeen fans, did you have a sense of there's something really different about Ferguson and, and what he's trying to do here? Or was it something that just gradually grew over time, the way that he kind of fine-tuned the team and he brought in a lot of exciting players and everything? I think um, I think that 79-80 season, the league-winning season, was just as important for the fans yeah. as it was for the players. And there were a few hurdles along the way during that season. It was not plain sailing. We did a poor start. Uh, lost a few games we shouldn't have done. There was one afternoon um, we were due to play Morton at Petaudry. Every other game in the country was off and he was just determined he would get it on. And, and the fans came in, they, they, basically the pitch was cleared. I remember being at the game and the snow was piled up all the way around the pitch. But we played and we won 1-0, I think Drew Jarvie got the goal. And it was just, there was something about that, that it almost acted like a catalyst. When we were trailing Celtic by a long way, yeah. I think we were about eight or nine points behind at one stage. But we had two games at Celtic Park in the space of 10 days and they went down and they won them both. Wow. Um, sorry, that was the 82-83 season. Um, but then him having that ability to get those kind of performances out of the team and to convince them, that was a yeah. big thing for, for him back then was you've got a good eyebrows, you've got to go to Celtic Park. I don't want to see my team celebrating a draw. We're, we're going there to win. Yeah. And more often than not, they would do that. They would go down there and they would win. It was just, it became the norm. And the mindset by that stage had changed completely because we as fans then expected the side to beat Celtic, to beat Rangers. And actually, Dundee United for a period of time were the most serious challengers yeah. to Aberdeen at that yeah. time. So it was an incredibly exciting period. Um, 
But all that fed into Aberdeen emerging, I think, as, as a team who knew how to handle such occasions and to win games when it mattered. Alongside the domestic dominance, which it was for a period of time there, they were growing in Europe. They, they'd had a few disappointments. They lost out to Hamburg, um, which in a game they shouldn't have lost out to, the, to Liverpool in the 881 season, lost 1-0 at Petordi and then were hammered down at Anfield, as most teams were. But <laughs> that was all part of the learning curve. Mm. They beat Ipswich um, the following year. I mean, that was just one of the most special nights. Not quite Petordi's greatest ever night, but it was one of them because <laughs> um, Ipswich were a wonderful team at the time. Yeah. So when you were starting to see the team taking on and beating some of the best teams in Europe, you thought, hey, you've got a chance here. <laughs> yeah. but despite the fact we did some big wins, and there'd been disappointments each year in Europe. Yeah. Um, that was all about the change, quite spectacularly, obviously. Let's move on to that run, the prelim round. One prelim round. Not like these days where you have to go through four qualifiers. <laughs> Just the one. 11-0 on aggregate against Sion, 7-0 at home. And four one away from home. So, did you go to all the away games? Eh, sorry, all the home games. Um, I, I didn't go to the away games. Um, I'm afraid my my bank salary did not um, stretch <laughs> to go to the away trips. But the, uh, every home game, and that that's the on game. I mean, it was it was for those days unusually early to be starting off European run. Though it was about another month or so, and it was bizarre. There was one preliminary tie. In the competition, and yeah, we were trying to get Sion. Um, I think we scored in the first minute, or first couple of minutes, and it was a lovely, glorious late summer's afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, evening rather, unseasonably warm at Petodri. <laughs> it was just a stroll. I mean, they they, yeah. they played so well that night, and actually, the I always remember well, when I was doing the the research for the book, uh, Leon Walker, who was the general manager of Sion after he was quoted as saying, "This Aberdeen team." can go all the way and wow. win the tournament, um, which was a remarkable quote to give in <laughs> September in a combination that included a lot of uh, very big names. But no, I mean, the, it was it was a stroll. It was the only stroll that they had until the semi-finals um, because the next three rounds were certainly tough. Slightly fewer goals in the, the next round. Just, just the one across the two legs, Dinamo Tirana. Hewitt gets on the score sheet and he'll play a fairly important part later later in this story and then you kind of navigate the second round fairly comfortably as well like Poznan so that's 3-0 on aggregate 2-0 win at Pintodri McGee and Weir and you win 1-0 in Poland I mean that's, that's still a fairly impressive result because to go away to teams in Eastern Europe at the time it's a completely different scenario to what it is nowadays going, going to play those teams and so much was unknown going into those matches as well The, the play I mean that, that home game against Tirana was was as tough as anything that they had. I mean, that was, they were a very, very hard physical team. It was so, so tight. And John Hugh just got, I remember, um, in at the, the back of what is now the, the Red Sheds, but was just known as the Paddock <laughs> back in those days. And um, the players talk about that away trip as being just, just so tough. I mean, mm. for a start, they're going in behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. And there are armed guards all around the stadium. Um wow. It was not the sort of place where you went out and had a stroll around enjoying the, the sights yeah. uh, and the build-up to the game. Um, they found it tough. That, I think the game itself, um, going by the, the what the players said, that they were at a level where they could cope fairly comfortably. Nil-nil away from home in Europe was a fairly standard result for Aberdeen in those days. In, in that case, it was obviously to preserve the lead. They got through that fine. Poznan um, wasn't just quite as tough, but it, it's still, I mean, they scored two goals in quick succession. Um, McGee and Weir, I think, in the early stages of the second half. 
And to be honest, that Aberdeen team, 2 0 up after the first leg, were always going through. Yeah. And then the draw is made, and we are paired against the mighty Bayern Munich and, and had a couple of months, I think, to anticipate that one. What went through your head when that happened? I, it was like Kenny, I mean, I'm, as you so uh, kindly pointed out, Laura, I'm so much older than you two. Um, <laughs> but as when I was growing up, the, the first continental team I was aware of was Ajax. Well, Feyenoord actually, who beat Celtic in the European Cup final in 1970. And then it was Ajax who dominated for three years. Yeah. And then it was Bayern Munich. And it was the Bayern Munich of Sepp Meyer and Gert Müller and Franz Beckenbauer. And, yeah, I mean, just names. absolute German legend. And the Munich team of 83 maybe wasn't quite at that level, but it had Eugen Thaler and Ed Rummenigge and Ed Hohen. I mean, they were just, even then, you knew every single name yeah. in that Bayern team. They were formidable. And German football was the best in Europe at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know Sir Alex kind of spoke about that, you know, Measured himself domestically against the old firm, if you like, and, and then the United. But certainly when it came to Europe, it was it was the German sides that he looked at particularly. And the first legs in the Olympic Stadium in Munich. And it was as an outstanding and a way performance that I saw from the team. And there it is. What a performance by Aberdeen. It is only the halfway stage. I know we've got to be cautious. But they're throwing caution to the wind. They're about to hit Munich and have an enjoyable night and they deserve it because they've supported a team which has excelled itself. I do remember watching highlights then. I've subsequently gone back. I said, when I was saying I was doing the book, I wanted to, to have a look at the game. Yeah, Aberdeen defended really well and Jim Leighton made a few saves, but we stretched them. We made chances. McGee should certainly have scored. Eric Black came close. There were a few really good opportunities. So it was, it was outstanding. And then, of course, you're thinking, wow, we've got a draw in Munich and we've got them at our place in a couple of weeks' time. But, but what was the mindset of the fans, though? Because was it not true that Alex Ferguson was actually quite annoyed <laughs> at getting just the draw? He was annoyed in any game. It didn't matter what game it was <laughs> if he only got a draw. I mean, going back to those early days, there, there was one match a few of the boys have thought to me about where they drew nil-nil at, at Ibrox and, and came off and there was some handshakes and yeah. a few fist clenches and Ferguson was outraged. He was absolutely outraged. Oh, that's, that's not good enough. My Aberdeen team has to win games. I've no doubt it's taking it back, but I mean, I've thought privately, secretly, he'd have been very, very pleased with the team's performance um, and would certainly have been confident that he gave himself a real chance of going through. And you gave yourself that real chance. You brought Bayern Munich back to Pataudry. Can you just talk us through as much as you can of that night? Because, I mean, that's that's got to be one of the most magnificent nights that Pataudry has ever seen. Yeah, well, it's gone down in history as, as Pataudry's greatest night and, and anyone who was there would have to agree. I mean, it was just, I, I remember getting in early and, I mean, the stadium was absolutely packed. We were on the south stand. There, there was an... Real nervousness because we knew we could win this one the semi final, win the semi finals of a European yeah. competition. Hogan Teller looking for a chance to shoot. And that's the moment that Aberdeen were dreading. Hogan Teller with a marvellous goal puts Bayern in front. Finley on their own, Hogan Teller smashes one in from 20 yards, and there's just that deflation. But the players, I mean, they, they had that mentality. It was, it was in brain, I suppose, at that point, or had been developed at that point. Uh, Neil Simpson scrambled in the equaliser before half-time. Breaks for Cooper, now McGee. That's a great cross, Eric Black is there! 
It's off the line. No, it's played in by Simpson and Aberdeen are level. Petodre comes alive. I mean, you're feeling it. I mean, obviously, you kind of now know that Bayern have got their wee goal, so they're going to have to win on the night. And it's got a touch. McLeish. And that is a special goal coming in from Flugler, which went quite well in Aberdeen's challenge in Europe. Flugler got the, the volley from the edge of the box again, a great strike, and Jim Lane doesn't get to it. And then you're down again. It wasn't utter deflation. Mm. I, I do remember there was a real kind of buzz around the place. And then just came 60 seconds of utter madness and mayhem. Master has a little chat with Strachan. Well, they couldn't agree, obviously. Strachan plays it in. The header finds the net. And Aberdeen are back in the match once more. Alec McLeish gives Aberdeen a chance. It's so funny, you listen back, as I did, as Jock Brown was doing the commentary at the time, and he's completely confused by this free kick routine. He's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> Strachan McMaster, they've made a mess of that one. The ball's flipped him, and Alex McLeish heads in the equaliser. Yeah. But by the time he goes to the replay, Jock Brown has now decided um, that this was a carefully rehearsed piece of tomfoolery, which <laughs> confused the Germans. I'm um, completely ignoring the fact that utterly bemused him the first time we saw it. What a great goal it was. Now, just watch this free kick, and if you think for one minute that Strachan and McMaster were in any kind of confusion, you're wrong. They were doing this quite deliberately with a carefully rehearsed piece of tomfoolery to deceive the German defence, and it worked. So Big Alec heads in the equaliser, and then they've shown the replay, obviously, in the telly. And then the camera's still focused on Alex. Meantime, on the pitch, John McMaster's moving up from left back. He's hit this long 50-yard diagonal. And the camera's still panning Alex. And, and you see Alex's head just turning as he watches the flight of this ball. <laughs> and then the camera finally... Cuts to Eddie Black with a header and Muller just pounds it out. And John Hewitt comes in and again, uh, no, I mean, it's a time, but if you look back now and Johnny's spoken to me about it, his left foot actually slips and he very nearly misses the ball. He only just makes contact <laughs> and he scrambles it over the line. <laughs> Flex just goes mental. So Alec McLeish picks up only his second goal of the season, but it gives Aberdeen the urge to force the pace in the last 13 minutes. Can they make it? There's Eric Black. The goalkeeper knocks it out. It's in the net and Aberdeen are in front. John Hewitt. Petodre goes berserk. John Hewitt's been on the field two minutes and he's scored the goal which might make European history for Aberdeen. And off the back, I always remember my late dad, um, who I love the game, comes from him, well, off the team comes from him. And when the side stand, I remember just looking around and he was standing up on his seat, <laughs> just giving everything. And Here We Go was the song that was, that was some of the time. Yeah. I was just standing up there going mental. And I just stood and just couldn't believe what I was saying. And then Benny Quigley, you think, God, jeez, now we're in a position to win this. Yeah. It becomes more real, doesn't it? It the, does. Later yeah. on, it becomes. Suddenly, you've got something game, to hold on like, to. Oh, no. <laughs> now it's realistic and now I'm nervous. I, see, I'm still like this to this day. Um, and especially at big games, cup finals, whenever, if, if, not very often, Aberdeen are there, obviously. <laughs> if you're trailing or if it's still in a lot, I'm okay. The moment you actually go in front, that's when the panic sets in. And, and that was certainly <laughs> the case that night. From, but the boys were they were fantastic and Willie just he had Carl Heinz room and I could have just under control the whole night. Yeah. I don't need a sniff. And they saw it out and 
Oh, it was just incredible. The 45 minutes of the second half are now over. We're into injury time. And the Aberdeen supporters now beginning to build up a chant. It's already taken the final whistle goes. Aberdeen have won perhaps their greatest victory ever. Alec Ferguson dancing and tick up the light in the track, and well he might. And after a performance which will never be forgotten by the 24,000 people inside the stadium, Aberdeen go through to the semi-final. To do it so late on as well, it's, it's like Hollywood stuff, isn't it? And it's just watching them all kind of rushing off the bench and people on the pitch, and it's, you watch the players, you know, it's almost as if they're, they're not quite sure how to celebrate. It's as if the magnitude of what they've just done really hasn't sunk in yeah. at that point. It was just it was an astonishing night. I just feel so privileged to have had the chance to, to witness it and to be able to still... It, it, it's amazing, and you guys would be like this as well. There'll be certain games that stick in your memory, but I, yeah, I'm still even getting goosebumps now just thinking about it and, and remembering the emotions and the atmosphere on that night. It's just... It's, it, I mean, it's, it's amazing watching back the footage, the highlights of, of that game in particular, as someone who didn't watch it live and isn't an Aberdeen fan. But like, I, I get goosebumps watching that. Like, there's just... there's As a football fan, there's something ubiquitous and beautiful about those moments when you... The romance punctures the, the norm, the status quo, because, you know, it, Bayern Munich were the favourites, one of the favourites for the tournament, definitely the favourite for the tie and they weren't good enough to beat Aberdeen over two games like over 180 minutes and there's just something magnificent when I don't want to quite damn it with the praise of David versus Goliath because I think Aberdeen were far better than that it was a much more even contest and they made it an even contest but the the beauty of those moments as a football fan is just it's just wonderful to watch I can't even begin to imagine as an Aberdeen fan and being in the stadium that night what that must have been like just incredible no it was um it was in, I, I know exactly what you mean because I mean I've been fortunate enough to cover all sorts of big matches and cup finals and playoffs and deciders over many seasons um, and you do you get caught up with the emotion of the fans yeah. around you and, and also following other Scottish teams in the European competition I've always enjoyed seeing uh, the other Scottish teams do well but nights like that are very very rare and that was very very special did you almost go into the semi-final feeling like, no matter what happens here, how can we ever top what just went before <laughs> in a weird, twisted way? No, I mean, the draw went, well, the draw went our way. Um, Wadishai was certainly the team that you wanted. And within, what, four or five, <laughs> I was just 2-0 up. Bell going strongly and to good purpose as well. And Black! Goal! 85 seconds. Pierre Janssen hustled into a mistake. And a fine set that's in. Neil Simpson. Four minutes. It's 2-0. I mean the celebrations have started in that by war were God the final. <laughs> um and this the, the, the behind it was like scrubland and it was a hill. And the guy beside me actually fell backwards. He was jumping about so much and I fell and he tumbled all the way down the bottom of this hill. <laughs> um, down towards where the, the turnstiles were. And you go and then you win 5-1. It's incredible. Just, why? It's a European semi-final. It's the first leg. We've just won 5-1. We know we're going to fight because yeah. there's no chance this Aberdeen team loses 4-0 or worse. So that was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. And Aberdeen have made full use of home advantage. A smile for a happy manager, Alec Ferguson. 
decide a large step nearer a place in the final of the Cup Winners' Cup in Gothenburg on May the 11th. No, but <laughs> Neil Simpson talked about the, the cement. They were getting into training the, the next day, and there's an old guy, and I can't remember the chap's name, but old boy, he was always up on that training, and he was always just standing at the end. They're all coming out, and typical northeast, he was just sitting there, standing there, um, shaking his head, and Simmy had gone past him, and he went, ah, that goal, I can see that that could be coming back to haunt us. <laughs> Come on, just one play of one. So I, my main task at that point was the very next morning to go into the bank, book my holidays um, <laughs> to ensure that I could go to Gothenburg and also secure a way of financing the trip, which thankfully my boss at the time was a big Aberdeen fan. He arranged for me to get a personal loan. It was £400. <laughs> and it was put through as for a carpet and a fridge. So I, I paid that uh, monthly standing order for the next two years um, to repay that. So that was quite nice. Every month as it came off my bank account, I could, it was a little reminder. So, like, talk to us about Gothenburg then. Who who did you go with? Like, what was the whole kind of occasion like? How how early did you go over for the game? So, um, I mean, first so first of all, you go, you go the second leg the same end, and they were all annoyed. They, they lost that 1-0. Um, mm. And they didn't matter. But they were so annoyed that they actually lost the game on the run. <laughs> yeah, Gothenburg. So we, we're, we're going. And then word comes out that uh, I'd, I've never flown. I've never been abroad at this point, And I've never been wow. in an aeroplane. And I am terrified at the thought of flying. So when word comes out that P&O are putting on a ferry, listen, Claire, this is just manna from heaven for me. <laughs> and of course, back in those days, there's people online booking. So I remember sitting in the bank, in the wee office in the bank, just constantly dialing this number, PO phase, eventually getting through. And so I'd like the book on for the Gothenburg. The woman said, Oh, it's sold out. It's, it's full. Wow. There are no tickets left. So I, I had to fly um, <laughs> because I wasn't missing it. Yeah. So um, there was just like a group of our pals at the time. There were four or five of us who went over. So we went over on the Tuesday. And in typical Scottish football, fan abroad, and obviously me, the first time I've ever been abroad. I mean, no luggage. So it just went there. Um, <laughs> got the thing and it was absolutely bucketing down. And it never stopped raining the whole 48 hours before we were there. So wow. actually, I, I remember going into a department store trying to find some kind of waterproof clothing. It kind of looked like an Adidas tube. <laughs> Two piece, <laughs> basically waterproof trousers and a jacket, uh, red, but it had two stripes rather than three. <laughs> so I wore that bloody thing the whole two days. Um, I can't actually remember the night before. I do remember it was a very long, slow journey out to the stadium. We were all just heading out there. Everybody was just. So, so you got a ticket? You got a ticket? Okay, was yeah, that yeah. Quite I, the t- ticket was no. I can't even remember. I mean, I assume just bought it through the club. Um, I can't actually remember that being any, or, or, or unless it was a. It might have been. I suppose the package might have been fly with match ticket included. Yeah. So there was no issue with that. Um, we brought. I think we brought about seventeen thousand. I mean, it was a big. Turn- there was hardly any Spaniards there, so getting into the game wouldn't have been an issue. But yeah, just that, that walk out of the city, we're just, just seeing Don's fans everywhere. There was a fountain, inevitably most of us landed up in that fountain at some point and then <laughs> made our way out to the stadium. And I just remember standing there, getting inside and thought, wow, looking down. And the first thing that struck was the puddles all over the pitch. I mean, the, the, the pitch was, the way that pitch was playable. Uh, but yeah, it was a great atmosphere. I mean, it was, it was fantastic to see all those Aberdeen fans there. 
And I don't remember being particularly nervous. I was aware of how big a moment this was. I mean, because I never imagined I would ever see my team play in the European final. Yeah. And it's basically not against Real Madrid. <laughs> so yeah, it was, and then the game kicked off. And uh, again, I've got to be honest, it, it was only going back and looking over the whole 120 minutes. Gee, I mean, Aberdeen absolutely battered Real Madrid that night. It, it should never have gone to extra time. It could easily have been four or five one again. I mean, they were, <laughs> they played some outstanding football in that pitch. Mm. Took the early lead, of course, um, Frederick Black. Striking now to find his way through the water. The corner. It's McLeish. Deflection. Black. And Aberdeen take the lead. Six and a half minutes into the match. And then gave away the penalty. Big Alex's pass back getting stuck in the water. I mean, these days, Jim Lee may well have been sent off mm. for conceding the penalty. Certainly, he would have been up a few years ago until they, they kind of brought in the triple jeopardy or double jeopardy rule. Careless one from McLeish. That'll be a penalty kick. Yes, Leighton is penalised. But Santiano was brought down. That's a disastrous moment. Juanito will take it. No chance for Leighton. Yeah, the back and level terms, you think this is just ridiculous. And we continued to make chances and miss chances. And and then eventually, of course, it, it goes to extra time. What was going through your head at this point? Because I, I, from talking from experience, my most emotional extra time was going into it for the Euros, for the qualifiers against Serbia. And at that moment, my brain was about to explode with yeah. nerves and stress and tension. I mean, how was it for you at this point? I think because we played so well... There was a relative calm. I don't remember being just quite as hyper uh, that night as I was and have been on many other occasions. And, and you know, part of that was probably down to the fact that you trusted the team. You're afraid of yeah. those players. You kind of believe yeah. that they weren't going to let you down. But, of course, anything can happen. It's, we saw when Real Madrid equalised. Um, but, no, I mean, the boys were great. Again, again, the extra time, they made chances, they made chances, and then eventually the moment. Delightful little chip forward. San Jose, the covering player for Mark McGee. Huge waiting in the middle. Yeah, that is a magnificent goal for Aberdeen. John Hewitt celebrates. Seven minutes into the second half of extra time. Just eight minutes left. And the Aberdeen supporters go bust It's a great move down the left. Peter Weir was you know, way back in his own half. And he plays the ball up the wing and Mark McGee is out there. But McGee puts the cross in, and, and so that goal is scored pretty much directly in front of where we're standing. And so you see McGee, and he's kind of jinking, he gets away, and he puts the cross in. And it's amazing how you pick up so many things at the same time. But I, you know, I, I was aware that the keeper was coming off his line, and you're thinking, there's no way he's kind of half hesitated. There's no way he's getting there. And then you see John Hewitt just coming, diving in. And you see the connection, but there's still just that moment. Yeah. It's an end, it's an end, it's an end. Oh my God. It's just, I mean, <laughs> the, it, we were all just swinging and moving about all over the place. I, the, I wasn't even aware of, uh, and it's something that's haunted John Hewitt to this day, is the, the most ridiculous kind of starfish celebration that he does. <laughs> I said he just lost in that moment. I, I didn't even see him say it. It wasn't until afterwards and the sort of getting replays of it that I thought, oh my God, that's a nightmare. But it was madness and it was mayhem. And then, of course, the, the team has to kind of write, okay, we need to see this out now. And and they were doing so up until the fact that, uh, so it's Willie. Willie Miller gives away a free kick. 
which of course he to this day says was never a free kick. Um, about 22 yards out. And they try to take it quickly and they make a mess of it, but the referee wasn't ready, so he says you take it again. When the fullback comes up and he hits this and it whistles past the wall. And you know, it's, it looks like it's on target. Jim Leighton kind of dives across and the ball just goes past him. And it's just, I mean, it all happens so quickly, but it, it's always like time stands still and you're literally just waiting for that ball to nestle in the net. Yeah. And then Matt, I, I just remember seeing it skipping across the puddles <laughs> beyond the far goals. And that was it. At that point, Brian Gunn is down praying. I always remember that. Dear God, please don't let him score. Wonderful. Last chance indeed. There goes the final whistle. Aberdeen have won the European Cup winners' cup. The final whistle goes and, um, wow, just, just incredible. And it seemed to take forever to get everything organised and it wasn't the big gala ceremony that it is these days it was a wooden table that was carried out on the pitch and um, the, it was a general secretary whoever it was of, of you for the time it was an Italian and he wasn't for handing this bloody trophy over <laughs> well, I'm really desperately trying to get it off and then eventually and he he comes across and I mean he's just standing there with a, his trademark one handed trophy lift and it's just just incredible Carlos Santillana the beaten Real Madrid captain looks on as Willie Miller holds off the European Cup winners cup and it's, it's, the, it's the iconic photos that last a lifetime isn't it yeah and um, I love looking at them because you see something different almost every time you look at these photographs no matter how many times you look at it and, and then you know the one player's doing something stupid or has got the trophy in his head or uh, there, and there's always something but I do remember the guys just coming round and they looked as shell-shocked as I think we felt as they made their way around with the trophy. Just, just an amazing thing. And the singing, oh. how do you feel about it all? I can't, honestly, it's just hit me. It's, oh, it's the greatest moment of my life. But I'll tell you, it was a magnificent performance with the conditions. I thought we thoroughly deserved it. They're the ones that did it. The players out there, proud of I went back there, so Celtic, I was doing the commentary for the radio, and Celtic played with Elfsborg, and realised this wasn't too far from Gothenburg. It was actually Peter Houston. Peter said he would come in with me. So we took the bus into to Gothenburg. So there's a new stadium now, but uh-huh. I, I, and I've been aware, but Scott, if they actually pulled down the old one, but no, thankfully, around the corner. And as soon as I got, I came around, you could saw it, the, the swirly kind of roof that it had. So we walked around, you know, trying to bluff my way into the stadium here. But I think it was Bruce Springsteen had been playing there the previous weekend, and they were de-rigging, and the big gates at the corner of the stadium were wide open. So the two of us just walked in, <sighs> walked out straight out here onto the pitch. And me. So there were seats now, whereas before it was just terracing, but I yeah. kind of worked out roughly where it was. So yeah, I mean, he took pictures of me down in the goal mouth, pretending to be John Tewey, he took pictures of me. <laughs> like, I'm up there pretending to be Willie Miller, up in the stands. Um, and the only, the, so um, that night, one of my pals, um, school pals, Phil, Phil Goodbrand, um, died on the night. He died during the game, he collapsed. Oh. Um, I hadn't seen it at the time. I, I saw a stretcher being taken away. Gosh, it looks like Phil, but in the midst of all everything else, I just I wasn't close enough to, to know exactly what happened. So um, no way. It was really quite emotional actually being back up in the stands, mm. more or less when I'd been that night, and um, you know mixed mixed in with all the euphoria was just that the emotional emotion thing about Phil and you know everything his family went through and. Everything he's missed over the years, and it was it was bittersweet to be there 
And it's amazing how, after all the years, that affected me just as much mm-hmm. as the joy of being back inside the stadium and, and remembering, you know, what was the, the club's greatest hour day. Yeah. I, I, and I think with anything that you... I mean, there are always all these stories, all these little facets to it. It's just when everything starts coming out, kind of flooding back to you. Uh, and so it was lovely. It was, it was lovely to go back in, in both senses and to actually see it again. I know there's a group of Don's fans that every 10 years they make a pilgrimage out to the stadium and <laughs> they've done that and I think they're planning it for the 40th as well and then afterwards I mean it was just I was just gone so I think I went back to the hotel I think I had one bottle of beer and I just remember I do remember lying in the dark lying on my bed in the dark just trying to soak it all up just trying to remember it all it was just just amazing Incredible. Did it did it take quite a, a, a long time to actually sink in both for yourself as a fan and, and potentially for the players as well just what they'd achieved, like the magnitude of it? I, I think for so many of them, I mean, a lot of those, you know, four or five of those boys were either teens, teenagers, or just out of their, their teens. Yeah. And, and Eric Bland, I can't remember the exact figures now, but Eric started something like a couple of well, a couple hundred games or thereabouts. But basically, Eric Black won a major trophy. For every 19 games he started Whoa. for Aberdeen Football Club. That's just what they did. Yeah. They, they turned up, they did pre-season, they won a couple of trophies, and they went away in a break. <laughs> and so they did that for three or four years. Yeah. But I mean, I think it was probably like most great achievements that any individual or teams have. It's with the passage of time that you really, truly begin to appreciate the magnitude of what you've done. Yeah. Then that was just what they did. And that's what Alex Ferguson expected of them. But yeah, I mean, you, you talk to them, and I've done that over many years now. I mean, they're all incredibly proud to have won that, to have won all the things they did, but to have been part of that group. I see them now, and I mean, you know, it's only God bless them, Neil Cooper, who is, is no longer with us. I see the the strength of the bond there is between those players after all these years. Yeah, and I've been in lots of done, done lots of events with them, and and you know what? Whenever you see the group of them get together, you just you step away. You just because you know that that's there, that's there in our sanctum. You leave them to it, and it's lovely to chat to them individually to hear some of the stories and to do it with little groups. But since you've got the group with them, you know, just no one, no one else should be there, and that's fantastic. I love that it's still there, and that Stuart Kennedy's still telling the same stories, and and <laughs> they just all love it. I mean, it's you're obviously in such a lucky position because you are getting to work with them and and meet the, your heroes basically on a regular basis even since this happened but how would you have liked to have worked the final how different would it have been for you it's funny because I, any of the big games that i've worked on i've been i've been in finals semi-finals whatever you know for, oh how can you do it it's just well i do it because it's my job and it's yeah. It doesn't lessen any enjoyment I take from Aberdeen winning or any hurt I take from Aberdeen losing. I mean, I, I think I was quite happy, actually, that I was there as a fan. I mean, it was four years before, I, three, four years before I started in, in radio. So I think I'm actually pleased, as I look back, that I was just there, just no responsibility other than trying to trying to keep myself going and, and actually find the stadium and not get lost and not expire on the plane coming back out of absolute sheer terror. Um, are, you, are you over your, are you yeah, over oh, your yeah, fear yet? Yeah, it's funny. Right. Um, I <laughs> so stayed, cured that as well. It's still, no, it was still on and off over the years and then I, um, I mean, it was long since clear but then I did a, a skydive about three or four years ago 
and um, kind of wow. figured if I could survive going up in this rickety old plane <laughs> with an open door and jump out. Bloody <laughs> hell. Oh, it's like a oh, well, be okay. No, it's, it was fine. It was just a fear of the unknown, I think, at that point. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's amazing. You know, and and it, you're right, Laura. I mean, I, you know, quite a few of these guys, um, I'm very fortunate enough to, to call friends. And I've certainly, you know, a lot of dealings with them over the years. Writing the book was brilliant. That's just over 10 years ago now that that was put together. But the one thing that struck me then, and it's it's this one stat I've come across in my career that I've, I must have checked about 15 times over and over and over again because I just couldn't believe it. So the 11 that kicked off that final against Real Madrid, that was the first time that that 11 had ever started a game for Aberdeen. No way. And then the same 11 started the cup final 10 days later against Rangers, and that was it. Those were the only two games. Wow. That, that, and it's such an iconic 11, but it's largely because Stuart Kennedy got injured in the second leg of the semi-final. Mm. So he missed out, and Stuart was in pretty much an ever-present. He had games where... Maybe Hewitt would start instead of Black. Like he generally started striking, you know, eight, nine, ten of the players were pretty much ever present. And I kept going back and I kept, this can't be right. It can't be right. I kept, <laughs> that was the first time, first time they'd ever played together. Just astonishing. As time goes on as well, I think the achievement only grows in magnitude, especially looking at what European football has kind of become like this, this behemoth that it's grown into. It's such an astonishing achievement for Aberdeen. Not not just the final, to beat Real Madrid in a final. I mean, that's incredible. But the teams that they beat on the way, they are obviously the last team from Scotland to win a major European trophy. And one of my favourite stats, no one has beaten Real Madrid in a European final since this match. And they've been in 10 European finals since then. So it's an astonishing achievement that Aberdeen did that night. Yeah, I mean, that's remarkable. You wouldn't have imagined that four decades later, that would still be the case. And that just, it, it shows what Sir Alex had built and the belief that those players had both in themselves, but in the manager. I mean, I know they, they looked at, they watched Real Madrid before the final and although he didn't say so publicly, he said to Dick Dormont, the chairman, well, we're going to win this. We are going to win this. <laughs> and, and you can understand why the unshakable self-belief was there because generally they, yeah. they did win. They were such a dominant force at the time. And I have come across so many people, you know, and you kind of chat chat with this. It like when the, the book came out and we're kind of doing signings and stuff and, and interviews and the amount of people you speak to and, and you know, say, oh, did were you over in Gothenburg? Like, oh, no, I couldn't get off my work or I had an oh, exam yeah. the next day or my brother Wayne instead of me. And it, so many people. <laughs> but so many folks said to me, I just thought I would go, I'll go the next time. <laughs> now, we did get to the semi-finals the next year and lost out of Porto. Oh, no. But, I mean, that would never, that never crossed my mind. The moment, yeah. uh, the moment we went 2-0 up against Watershine in the semi-final, that was it. I was going to Gothenburg <laughs> and nothing would have stopped me yeah. going. But that showed the mentality that there was then. That we're going to, well, we've done it once, we'll just, we'll just keep on doing it. I feel like it's so different to nowadays. I don't think huh. anything in Scottish football nowadays, I'd say next time. In any no. form no. of Scottish football, I'd never take anything for granted like that. And it, you know, it must be a huge regret for those who, who were around at the time and who just chose not to go. And it, I mean, so many things have kind of summed it up over the years. My, my oldest son's a Dons fan. And um, so we beat Copenhagen 4-0. It was only game we won in the group, but we got through somehow and um, ended up playing Bayern Munich. Um, and then there was a 2-2 yeah. drop to Audrey and then That's right. we lost five out in Munich. But, um, you know, he said to me, I, after that, I remember talking about it at one point in the years since, Jamie Smith scored a couple of goals that night. Richard, yeah. <laughs> Richard Foster scored. 
but I remember Keith was saying to me that that was his Gothenburg. Yeah. I went, ah, come on, <laughs> Copenhagen in a group stage match. But, but that, it, can I brought it home to me? That's as good as yeah. it's got for him. Yeah. As a yeah. Don's fan. And he's now 33, but that's as good as it's got for him. Yeah. I watched my team beat Real Madrid in the European final. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you just can't beat it. Just off the back of that, there's there's one question I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on. And it's a more overarching question. So, not just about Aberdeen, but looking back kind of through the annals of history, in general, do you think Scottish teams should? have won more European titles in their history, especially up until that kind of start of the, the Champions League era, really, the early 90s. Because I think when you look at it, there have been 10 times a Scottish team's got to a final and three wins. And even then not getting to the final, you know, uh, my, my grandfather's a Dundee fan and he talks about the, the team that got to the European Cup semi-finals in 63. Then Fairman made this, the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup in 69. Jim McLean's Dundee United... Um, you know, tragically lost out in the European Cup semis in '84, in rather dark circumstances, and and then ended up losing the UEFA Cup final in '87. And I think nowadays winning a European title seems so overly ambitious for for a Scottish team to even consider. I, you know, I can't help wonder when you had what felt like a much more level playing field up until the early '90s. Do do you think as a country we should have won more European titles? I think I think United are probably the team. I mean, I feel for United because if you look at some of their results, there was a spell there under Jim McClay where they were just ideally suited yeah. to European football or the type of European football that was played at the time. They were very strong defensively. Yeah. You had um, Egerde and Neri, Malpass, guys who could score goals in the main and Stark and Dodds. But they had pace, they broke, they were really combative in midfield. And some of their performances, some of the big wins they had... Barcelona, Monaco. Yeah. And the, I mean, they were regularly scoring three, four, five goals against some of the better teams in Europe. Yeah. And actually, probably had it not been what happened in the semi finals of the European Cup against Roma, then they may well have gone on and won that tournament. And yeah. um, maybe United. But I, certainly in the years since, and certainly since it's been a broadcast, I've seen how difficult it is. And I suppose from that point onwards, whether it was us going backwards or European, probably in many cases, European countries going forwards you began to see it was becoming more and more difficult. I mean, I remember whilst going to Seville with Celtic in 2003, mm. um, obviously Rangers, you've been a uh, UEFA final in 2008 and then the most recent one as well. And in each case, those were it was a surprise, wasn't it? I mean, that yeah. you didn't start the season thinking, oh, a Scottish team's going to get to a European final here. Yeah, exactly. So I think, sadly, the chances... I, I keep saying that they're slim. I mean, it, it might be that someone is going to do it. It might call me. I guess probably if there had been European football introduced earlier than it was we probably would have won yeah. more European trophies when you think of how strong Scottish football was in comparison to the rest of Europe yeah. in the couple of decades I suppose before it really came to the fore and some of what's I mean the achievement it's remarkable to think of the achievements of Dundee and the Fairman Kilmarnock back in the day I mean it would be nice but uh, I think we just and I mean you keep saying only three but of course Aberdeen are the only um, Scottish club to win two European trophies so <laughs> we have to make it a big fat four given that <laughs> later in the year, as well as Gothenburg, they'll be celebrating winning the Super Cup. And actually, Hamburg were a better team than Bayern Munich, and Hamburg were a better team than Real Madrid. And to beat them over two legs was was quite an achievement. That was the team with Kevin Keegan in it, and they were kind of a bit of a superstar, all-star team at the at the time, weren't they? So they, they, they'd beaten Aberdeen a couple of years previously, but now they were, they were a very, very good... And again, they went out in the June 0-0 in Germany, and then 
beat them 2-0. Yeah. And that was, that was a great night as well. But a bit bizarre to see the team go around the pitch afterwards celebrating, holding a wooden plaque <laughs> with a bronze <laughs> and got a gold. But you know, they're just like, how do you hold that up? Even while it was still going to do it one-handed. At least it's still a more impressive trophy than the Ashes. I just think that's the worst trophy in sport. So <laughs> it's still not that bad. <laughs> can't believe you brought cricket into this podcast. <laughs> How did you manage that? <laughs> I hate cricket as well. You've been in Australia too long. Sadly, I think so. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak to us as well. It's just a pleasure. I mean, it's, it is remarkable to think it was all those years ago. But the lovely thing is that there were so many um, very special moments during that run in particular and certainly the obviously Bayern and the, and the final itself but it's it's amazing how the emotions and excitement just still seems so real after all these years so yes. it's just you know I, it was it was wonderful to get the chance to live through it and it's it's equally enjoyable to relive it after all these years after a historic night for Aberdeen in Gothenburg the team returned unaware of the colossal reception that was waiting for them They'd certainly expected a warm welcome, which is what they got at Aberdeen Airport. But only as their open-top coach neared the city centre did the Dons begin to realise the impact their win had had on Britain's oil capital, which had literally dried up for the afternoon. Manager Alex Ferguson was still in the days from last night. Well, the, the support, you go for your support, uh, they were up for me, never said. And the rest of the night goes in so quickly that, that uh, the champagne was flowing and you don't get to your bed, but who worries about that? But... Oh, it was great. The streets which had been deserted during the match were packed solid as Scotland's newest football heroes came home. Hangovers were apparently rare. Many fans were still drunk from last night. All in all, it was the sort of welcome that would put even Liverpool to shame.